Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. We're going to be going to Luke chapter 4 this morning. We're going to be talking about age-old temptations. Wow, what in the world? Age-old temptations. Look at that. looks like an apple. I don't know if uh, Eve ate the apple or not, but, uh, you know, uh, there's got to be some reasons for this Adam's apple. I'm, I'm not sure what it is. I think it just must have stuck in uh, Adam's throat, huh? But um, today, prior to us getting to Luke chapter 4, let me uh, just just give you a, uh, a couple of scriptures in Deuteronomy that are some of my favorite scriptures. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2. Listen to what the word says. It says, and, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you and to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. Verse 3. So he humbled you. My goodness. You know, yes, the Lord is paying attention to your life. And he is working in your life. He's trying to help us be better us for his needs on planet earth and for our benefit as well. But he humbled you and he even allowed you to hunger. Isn't that interesting? That he humbled you, he allowed you to hunger, and he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Now, God often takes us through a process in life to teach us who he is. I mean, that would, that would be reasonable, wouldn't it? God wants us to know him. We are his children. He wants us to know who he is, and he wants us to know how he is, and he wants us to know what he wants and what he needs from us. If it were all about us, then the moment we got saved, he would probably take us to heaven. But the moment we get saved, it ceases to be about us and becomes about others. And God wants to teach us how to make the greatest impact in this life on planet earth for him so that others can come to know him just like we came to know him. In June of 1980, 40 years ago, the Lord spoke to me. I heard a word from God. Now, time fails me to tell you all that happened to make that real. But it was real to me. I believed that God spoke to me. I believed I had received a word from him. I did not understand what he meant, nor did I understand what it would take to make it happen. But I believe in 1980 that the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm going to make you rich. Well, I got all excited about that. I got so excited about it. My goodness, the Lord's going to make me rich. Well, wonderful. Whoo, glory to God. And I believed it was a word from God, but I did not understand what he meant by rich. And I did not understand what it was going to take for him to make something out of me. In time, I came to realize that, you know, every day that you end up with more food, than you needed that day, you're rich. You're richer than so many people all over the world. And I realized as well that, 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 that every day that I, that I ended where I, you know, had more joy than I had sorrow that day, it was a great day. And I was a wealthy man. Rich is what we are when we have more than enough for ourselves and we are able to share just a little bit of our abundance with someone else in need. That's rich. That's wealth. 
The Bible says that a man's wealth does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. I learned that during the next couple of years after 1980, after the Lord spoke to me and said, I'm going to make you rich. I thought, oh, immediately, whoo, I'm going to get some money. Yeah. I needed some money. <laughs> I like money, you know? So little did I realize that what God said was he's going to make me rich, not give me riches. He was going to make me rich. During the next few years, I really had quite a number of lessons from the Lord on what rich was and also on what it takes for the Lord to make something out of a person. It takes God, his patience and his grace, and it takes a lot of hard work on the, on the part of that individual to keep on trusting God. Uh, I believe with all of my heart that soon after God spoke to me and told me that he was going to make me rich, he spoke to me again. And what he told me is not a prescription for you. There is a difference between a description and a prescription. A description is me telling you what happened to me. A prescription is God telling you what he wants to do with your life. Do not take my prescription. If you take my prescription, it can hurt you. Okay? All right? Everyone deserves a prescription straight from God. So testimonies can be dangerous if people think that they can take your prescription and do better. So I'm saying this with a disclaimer. Don't try this at home. Okay? So... Soon after God told me he was going to make me rich and I got all excited and I was ready for the, ooh, I was ready. God spoke to me and told me to get rid of everything I had, sell everything I had. Well, you know, God was going to make me rich. He told me, he said, I'm going to bring you to the place where you cannot say that, that you have made yourself rich or that you have provided for yourself. I'm going to bring you to the place where you can only say that God has provided I thought, that's not a bad deal. God's pretty big. And I really believed. I mean, I, I turned my life over to him that year, and I really believed with all of my heart that he was going to do that. I mean, I believed I'd heard from God. And so I began the process of selling. It was a quick process. I put everything up for sale, and people walk in the house, whatever they offer, and I'd sell it to them. We sold our, you know, our bedroom furniture, our kitchen furniture, our living room furniture. We sold our, our, our nursery furniture. I mean, we, we sold a baby bed, and we still had a baby. Like I said, don't try this at home. Okay, I can't stress that enough. We sold our clothes. We sold the kids' toys. We sold everything we owned, everything we had except the clothes on our back. And our cars, we sold two cars. I had, I had shipped a Dodge Ram Charger back from Europe. I loved my Dodge Ram Charger, you know. And Brenda had a Volkswagen and we had shipped all of our furniture. We'd bought our furniture in England and Germany. And we had just, uh, you know, we, we were proud of our stuff. Sold everything. And then the Lord spoke to me and told me to give it to a church. A church I had never attended. Whoo! Rustin, you don't think that was a big one. That was a big one. I was thinking, okay, I might be going crazy. You know, these people that are, the, these people that are counseling me might be right. I might be going crazy. But uh, I just, just trusted God. So I did that. Well, you know, I was expecting any day for the Lord to just drop like, you know, a gazillion dollars on me. And I was committed to do his work. But in reality, we went two years without a car. 
we moved out of the house that was, you know, that was furnished, that was nice, and we moved into a, 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 a two-bedroom apartment with no furniture at all, none. I mean, we laid on the floor and slept, you know. We sat down cross-legged and ate. We didn't watch TV because we didn't have one. After a couple of months, we did finally get $5 together and bought a bean bag. And that was the only piece of furniture we had for seven months was a bean bag. Well, it became pretty valuable along about nighttime. <laughs> you know, who's going to get the bean bag? <laughs> Me, Brenda, or, or, or one of the kids? During that two years, the Lord uh, gave us cash money enough to buy two cars. But then he told us... To give those cars away. One of them was to a hitchhiker. Whew. You don't think that'll give you some mental problems? That's a, that, that sounds about like a homeless guy in the, in, in the city of Zarephath asking a woman to give him her very last meal for her and her son. That's crazy. Unless you're the ones God's speaking to. It'd be crazy anybody else. I'd tell that woman, oh, I don't know. That homeless guy just trying to get to you, you know. But when God speaks to you, there's a faith for it. But you still have to trust. Yeah. So we did that. And it wasn't easy, and I learned a lot. Uh, I did not know, but, you know, I'm certain the Lord knew what he was doing. He knew I needed a lot of work. And he was dealing with me, trying to get me into a place where I trusted him. Now, 40 years later, and by the way, today is our 47th wedding anniversary. Uh, happy anniversary, Brenda. God bless you. Thanks. Thanks for, thanks for you know, 30-something years of great marriage. <laughs> That's not a joke. Okay. <laughs> oh. 47 years. Who'd have thunk? Wow. 40 years later now, since 1980, I can testify to you that the Lord has kept his word. Of course, I now know what rich means. But he kept working on me. And I kept working on me. And he has made me rich in so many ways. It worked. You see, the devil would love to have given me trust issues with God. But the truth is, the Lord humbles us. And he allows us to hunger. And he feeds us with manna. You know what manna is? Manna means what is it? He feeds us in ways and with things that we, that we do not even know how he does it or, 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 or what it is or where it came from. Or, neither did our fathers know that he might make us to know that we do not live by bread alone. We, we do not live by money alone. We do not live by what we consider to be wealth alone, but we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. I had rather have a word from God than anything else. Let's turn our attention to Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, this is the passage where Jesus is going to be tempted by the devil in the Judean desert. 
Jesus is 30 years old. He's just been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. He's going to leave the Jordan River and he's going to walk out into the Judean desert that's right between the Dead Sea and Jerusalem. Those of you that go with me to Israel this year, and I, you, know, you can sign up and get on the waiting list. I think uh, we're full, but you know, the, b- between now and June, somebody may need to do something else. But you know, come go with us to Israel. I'll show you that Judean desert. You know, I'll show you right the place there where Jesus was tempted for 40 days. He spent there in that desert eating nothing. And afterwards, he was tempted by the devil. Look what these temptations. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about these three temptations here. Jesus, you know, led out into the Judean desert by the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, he's led by the Holy Spirit. This is a God thing. Okay? Being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, verse 2 says, Jesus ate nothing. And afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. Of course he was. He was a man. He was hungry. Here's the first temptation. The first temptation comes to you when you're hungry. Without respect to what you're hungry for. You can be hungry for food. You can be hungry for relationships. You can be hungry for a lot of things. You can be hungry for, you know, respect. You can be hungry for a lot of things. This temptation comes to you when you're hungry. Verse 3, and the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, (laughs) command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus got that out of Deuteronomy 8, by the way, verse 3. We just read it. Well, the devil realized that temptation didn't get him. It got Eve. You know, the devil was so comfortable with his temptations. For 4,000 years of biblical history, the devil had been getting people with that one. You know, putting something in front of them that they wanted, that they believed was good for them, that they desired. You know, it, it got the perfect daughter of God. He thought maybe he'd get the perfect son of God, but it didn't. He moves on to the next temptation. The devil took Jesus to a high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And, and the devil said, listen, I, I've been given all these kingdoms. I, I have all authority. I can give this to anybody I want to. You see, the devil knew what the will of God was for Jesus. He's supposed to be king and Lord. Well, I can help him. I can can preempt that. Second temptation, verse 7. Therefore, if you will worship me, the devil said to Jesus, all of this, all the kingdoms of the world will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He pulled that right out of Deuteronomy 6.13. Jesus knew the word. First two temptations didn't get him. So let's go to the next temptation. Temptation three, the third temptation. Then the devil brought Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacles of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. You know, because the devil knew the scripture. Psalms 91 verse 11 and 12 said that God will not even allow you to trip and fall to the ground. He'll pick you up with his angels. They're watching over you. Now, if you really are the son of God, come on now, show us. 
But Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He pulled that out of Deuteronomy 6.16, by the way. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from Jesus until a more opportune time. It didn't say that he quit tempting him. He said he's looking for a better strategy, a better place, a better time to do it. The devil, as I said, had grown so used to seeing people fall for these subtle, sneaky snake approaches. He's a crafty tempter. The devil knows what God has promised you. The devil knows you, and he knows your potential. And what he is trying to do is cunningly create a trust issue in your life so that you don't want to wait on God because you can have it now. You can, you know, it, let's say it worked on Eve. Eve was a daughter of God. You know, we know what God had planned for Adam and Eve. It's the same thing he has planned for us. And they would have gotten everything that God had for them in time. But the devil tempted them, don't trust God. Don't trust God. Don't wait on God. Don't trust God. Let me tell you what these three age-old temptations are. Okay? The devil's trying to give you trust issues. He's trying to bank on the fact that he can outlast you. He can outmaneuver you. He can outstrategize you. Number one, the devil is going to try his best in your life to get you to provide for yourself. That's what he did with Jesus. Turn this stone into bread. You're hungry? Turn this stone into bread. Provide for yourself. That's what you need to do. You know, you don't need to wait on God. I mean, but we know from reading the rest of the story that when these temptations were over, here came the angel of God ministering to Jesus. I mean, God had better for Jesus than Jesus could have gotten for himself. Can you imagine eating bread made out of rock? <laughs> you know, God had angel food for him. But he had to wait on God. Waiting on God means that we have to trust God. But sometimes instead of trusting God, we will fall for the temptation to provide for ourselves. Don't wait on God. You know, you need to get everything you can and you need to can everything you get. Nobody loves you like you love you. And it's all about you. Didn't you know that? It's all about you. And if Jesus had made it all about him, he would have turned that stone into bread. But it wasn't all about him. The second age-old temptation the devil brings to us, trying to get us to not trust God, but to trust in ourselves. The first is to provide for yourself. The second is to promote yourself. Come on. You deserve it. You know what God wants to do in your life. You know, I mean, God's told you he's going to make you rich. God's told you he's going to bless you. God's told you he's going to make this and do this and give you this and give you this. And all you have to do now, you know, you, you, you worked hard. Just promote yourself. That's all. All that Jesus had to do was promote himself. That's what he did. She promoted herself to God. God's status. I now know good and evil. I, I didn't wait on God to promote me. I promoted myself. You'll become as gods. Okay, I can do that. All you have to do is just, you know, take a bite of this forbidden fruit. All you have to do is disobey God, compromise with God. And you can have right now what God has promised you. You don't have to wait for it. You don't have to go through the cross. Promote yourself. But a promotion out of time and out of place is out of order. It's like an acorn opening up out of time and out of place. It's out of order, and it will lose all of its potential if it opens up out of time and out of place. 
It was not the time and it was not the place for Jesus to become the king. It would have been out of order. And a life out of order is not a life that God is ready to promote. Promotion comes from the Lord, the Bible says. And the Bible says a man's gift will make room for him. It doesn't say a man makes room for his gift. Number three, the third temptation. Three age-old temptations. Provide for yourself, promote yourself. Number three, prove yourself. Oh, this is difficult. This is what he said to Jesus. Come on, if you're the son of God, prove it. You know, people aren't respecting you enough. People aren't treating you right. You know, people don't know who you are. People need to know who you are. Other people need to see what you see. I mean, come on now. Promote yourself. Provide for yourself. You know, prove yourself. Now, you may not know who I think I am. That's supposed to be funny. But if I am, the Lord will approve of me in his time. And that's what Jesus told him. You see that subtle serpent, that sneaky snake, that crafty coward. He was trying to get Jesus to not trust God and to take matters into his own hands. It's the same thing he did with Eve, and it's the same thing he's been doing now for more than 6,000 years, trying to get us to take matters into our own hands. I can't count the number of times during those years when I was first learning to walk with God and trust God. I can't tell you how many times I would offer a shortcut I would, I, I, to do it myself or to make it happen or something I shouldn't. Uh, you know, just, just a little compromise and you can get something. Thank God for friends and trusted companions who continued to point me to the Word of God. You know, they would tell me scriptures like Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, he'll do it. If he's spoken it, he will make it good. Psalms 89, 34. My covenant will I not break, nor will I alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. You know, I can trust God. I can trust God to be God. I can trust God to know when it's time. I can trust God to lead me with peace. I can trust God not to tear things up trying to build something else. I can trust God. My victory is not in my enemy's defeat. It's in my God. It was difficult at times, and I was challenged. I was challenged to jump ship. I can't tell you how many times I was challenged to leave that woman right there. And how many times she would just say to me, go, get out of here. Come on, y'all look at me like that's crazy. Now, you know, hello, anybody else here ever been married? I can't tell you the number of times that, 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 that I was challenged to compromise. I was challenged to, to, to provide for myself, to promote myself, or to prove myself. Yet Almighty God was doing his best to make something out of me and to make something out of her and to make something out of us. We just had to trust God. Satan was constantly trying to get us to make things all about us when it's not. I simply needed to trust God. I needed to trust God to provide. I needed to trust God to promote. I needed to trust God to prove me in the eyes of others because he makes all things beautiful in his time, even me. You want to know what? 
finally worked. It finally worked whenever I realized that I was not responsible for her. She can go to hell if she wants to. She can live in hell if she wants to. I'm responsible for me. I'm responsible for me and what I do in the eyes of God. I can't make her do anything. You can't make anybody do anything. You can't. When I finally realized that I couldn't make her do anything and I was no longer responsible for her, that I was called by God to love her and speak the truth in love to her. But what I was mainly responsible for is to live right before God. I was responsible for me. How was I going to live before God? Was I going to trust God with this relationship or was I going to try to pound it out myself? Was I going to please God in my life, in my work, in my house, in my money, in my finances, in my hope? Was I going to please God? Or was I going to let somebody else knock me out of the saddle? I realized that she was not responsible for me. She can't make me do anything. Lord knows she's tried. <laughs> she can't make me do anything. She's responsible to God for her life. If I please God and she pleases God, then I should be pleased with her and she should be pleased with me and we should end up building a happy life. We did not have a happy life up until 1980. We have built one since. This morning on the way to church, I told Brenda, I said, you know, we have so many happy memories in life. We have so many wonderful memories that it is hard to reach back and to find a bad memory because there's so many wonderful memories. It is really hard. All the wonderful memories have really covered over the bad memories. And, 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 and life has gotten so good that it's really hard to find a bad thing. I said, it's like having a locked door and it's like having a hundred keys. Ninety-nine of those keys will unlock that door and one key won't. You know, that's not a frustrating adventure to reach into that box and get one because you're not, you know, I mean, you know, there, there, there's so many keys that work that that, 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 that wouldn't be frustrating. But you, can you imagine having a hundred keys in a box and a locked door and 99 of those keys don't work and only one of them does? You get mighty tired reaching back and it's not even worth it. Why even go there? It's so frustrating trying to go through all of the bad things hoping to come up with a good one. But you can build a life that is worth remembering. You can build a life you enjoy because the promise of God is with you. But what you have to do is work on you and your trust issues and let everybody else work on them and theirs. And hopefully everybody who's trying to please God will be pleased with you. And you'll be pleased with them. That's the way it works. That's what First John says. If you walk in the light and I walk in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. Because our fellowship is not with one another, but our fellowship is with Christ. So we fellowship one another through Christ. 
So me, for me, this message is for me, okay? You can take it for you, but don't take it for somebody else. God wants me to trust him. To not think that he doesn't know where I am so that he's, he's, he's not going to provide for me. Even when I'm hungry. Even when, I, even when I've gone a long time without getting what I want or need. Yet he is there. He will never fail me and never forsake me. Don't stop trusting God. Don't jump ship. Don't quit. Continue to let God be your God and look to him and, and when it's not happening the way you think it should or as soon as it should or, 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 or maybe you feel like, you know, uh, nobody knows who I am. Nobody's respecting me. Nobody understands me. Don't jump ship. Keep looking at God. Keep pleasing God. It's really not hard to know what God wants. God wants you to be filled with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, tempers. He wants you to forgive. He wants you to love. He wants you to give. He wants you to treat other people like you want to be treated. He's not always saying other people should treat you better. He's saying you should treat other people better. He's saying you should please me even when they don't treat you good. Even when they persecute you. Even when they despitefully use you. You should still love them and treat them good. That's what his word to you is. Now his word to somebody else, let that be their burden. But his word to you. Whenever we decided that we were going to be responsible to God for our own relationships with God, we actually began to like one another. I was married nine years before she told me in earnest that she loved me. In fact, she kept telling me she didn't love me. Nine years. I can tell you that in about three seconds. It took nine years to live. Today, I bet I'm the most loved man on the planet. I'd be willing to bet that. Why? I'm hoping because when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. <laughs> what? Oh, that was reflex. I'm, I, yeah, yeah. I, I was pointing at Tina. <laughs> okay, so you got it, right? You got what we came for? We're going to trust God, all right? Believe me, we're going to trust God.